This morning we turn to the story of Jesus' birth. But we're turning to the characters that perhaps we often gloss over most, the angels. Throughout the Bible, we see that angels are described in a number of ways, including that they are named personal beings who get to be in God's presence. They are beings that can take on physical form and interact with the physical world to carry out God's purposes. They're messengers bringing the Lord's word. And sometimes they even bring God's judgment. In the birth narratives, we're familiar with the stories of Mary being visited by an angel. We know the story of Joseph being visited by an angel. We know how the shepherds were terrified by the appearance of the heavenly host of angels. But have you ever wondered what it was like for the angels to be a part of all this? What if they didn't know the whole story, the whole plan? What if they had to act on faith that the Lord knows what he's doing, even when it doesn't make sense to them? Because the reality is, is that at the fullness of time, God came down in the person of Jesus Christ. Philippians 2 says that God did the unthinkable. He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. How could this be? We often fall into the trap of thinking that we're supposed to just be good and turn away from sinning, and then God will love us. In the birth of Jesus, did God finally just give up trying to have us play along? Did he now choose plan B to decide to wipe our slate clean and give us a fresh start? And now are we given a second chance to try and finally be good people? If we just try hard enough, could we be good enough on our own? Could we be like God? No. This is the sin of the Garden of Eden. This is the error at the center of every human heart. We can never be good enough to earn God's favor. God's plan from the start was to give himself to us so that we would finally long for only him. His plan was never for us to save ourselves by our own effort. His plan was always to save us himself. Christmas is about grace. It's about the ultimate undeserved gift. We don't earn it. It is freely given. There was nothing we could do to undo the disease of sin. But God. At Advent, we celebrate that God came down, but we also look forward to that great day when Jesus will come again. He will make all things new. May we be reminded this morning to not return to thinking that Jesus was simply plan B, And to leave this place thinking that we need to go save ourselves by our own efforts. But may our longing and expectation be marked by being a people who simply look to the only rescue possible. God who gives himself to us. And may our lives live in joyous, right relationship with a God who saves. God came down because his plan was always to rescue us himself. We invite you to sit back and enter into one last story about this plan.
one last time. Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 and 19 say this. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. None of this makes any sense, Gabriel exclaimed after he had left the audience chamber of the Most High God. The Lord would call his angels in before him, sometimes in groups, sometimes one at a time, to have audience before the king of the universe. The Lord often gave instructions for the angels to carry out, and he had done so with great specificity this time. Each angel had their own piece of God's plan to carry out. But not even the angels knew the entire plan of God. Coming out from the Lord's presence, he joined up with Michael and Raphael. Each archangel had been filled with wonder at the Lord's intentions, each in their own way, each of whom was eager to hear what the others had been told. But this can't be the way things are supposed to go down, Gabriel said. He couldn't decide if he was angry or embarrassed about the instructions he'd just received from the Lord. The three formed a formidable group, the three angels that were charged with leading the entire heavenly army, the entire heavenly host. They were the Lord's chief messengers. At a moment's notice, any one of them could be sent down into the fray on earth to communicate God's will. Sometimes that message was given with words. Sometimes that message was communicated through the sword. And as formidable as these three were, the angelic army they led was glorious enough to leave any human being senseless, face down, on the ground in terror. The army of heaven could be deployed to face any challenge in heaven or on earth. And these three generals were always ready. However, they were so different from one another. Michael, whose name means there is none like our God, was an angel of unshakable faith in the Lord and his purposes. He was always the first one to accept whatever the Lord said, and for him it always led to worship. That's probably why the Lord put him in charge of everything. Gabriel didn't know which would come first, Michael's name or his propensity to worship their incomparable God. Maybe the Lord had given Michael his name because he was always saying, there is none like you, O Lord. Michael was always redirecting their thoughts back to worship. It was good to have Michael around. Eh, most of the time. Michael was the first to ask the question, what did the Lord say to you, Gabriel? What are your instructions? Gabriel was still reeling from what he'd heard. I'm to visit Joseph next. I am to announce that God himself is coming into the world in human form, as a baby, in a feed box. And that's still just as crazy as the last time, Gabriel concluded. Because he'd made crazy pronouncements before, of course. He'd just made the same pronouncement to Mary, who was just a girl. But she had responded with a humility and a grace that had left Gabriel feeling inadequate by comparison. So that was crazy. And then just a few months before that, he'd visited Zechariah to announce the birth of the prophet, the one who would come before the Messiah, to Elizabeth, who was like super old and clearly beyond childbearing age. Now, Zechariah had given him some attitude, a first for the archangel, and maybe he'd lost his temper a little bit, striking him dumb for questioning the pronouncement, I am Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God, he had said with indignation. 
He winced inwardly, remembering his overreaction. And now, in a twist of irony that was not lost on Gabriel, he was experiencing the very same incredulity that Zechariah had exhibited, namely, not being able to wrap his mind around something that was clearly impossible and that was so clearly a bad idea. He glanced around nervously, wondering if he was about to be struck dumb. (laughs) Sometimes, Gabriel said, I just don't understand what the Lord is doing. Michael, his direct superior, shook his head, put his arm around his fellow archangel. After all this time, you still haven't grasped the beauty and the majesty of the Lord's purposes. I'm telling you, Gabriel, there is none like our God. I mean, we we won't always understand him, but don't get me wrong. He is consistent in his character, absolutely. He is unchangingly loving and just, yes. He invites us, and even them, pointing downwards, He invites us into life with him, to speak with him, to love him in return. So he is knowable. But his actions, the way he interacts within human history, now that, my friend, is something we seldom understand. At least not until we can look back on it at the end in hindsight. And then we have this grand aha moment and we'll all kick ourselves for not seeing it at the time. How obvious it all was, we'll cry to one another. I'll say it again, Gabriel, Michael repeated. There is no one like our God. Gabriel wasn't ready to go there yet. But what if he's just messing with us, you know, sort of joking around? He's not above that. Remember that time he had the guy's donkey talk to him to reprimand him? Now that was funny. What if he's just messing with us now? But he knew the Lord wasn't messing around. This was actually a really big deal. In fact, he knew that his current instructions were paving the way for the climax of the Lord's redemptive purposes. But he just hadn't seen it coming, like not like this. He's going to be human, Gabriel continued. A baby, no less. He's going to be completely helpless, completely dependent. Even once grown, he's going to be be vulnerable. How can that even be that the Lord would allow himself to be made vulnerable? I mean, there's so much violence in that world. He'll be able to experience pain and suffering. What happens if he gets hurt? What happens if he's injured? He stopped and gasped. What if he gets killed? He had so many questions. What kind of a plan is this? Michael was smiling broadly now, which only made Gabriel more agitated. You know right well what kind of plan this is, he said. It's his plan, which means it's perfect. It's his plan, which means it's beautiful and necessary and powerful and good. It's his plan. And so even if we don't fully understand it, we can trust it because we can trust him. All we need to know is that this is his plan. It's been his plan from the beginning. He has never wavered. He has never changed his mind. It has always been his plan to go down there himself. I've said it once. I'll say it a thousand times. There is no one like our God. Raphael, silent up to this point, interrupted the two. Up, time to go, Gabe. Looks like Joseph is asleep. You better get down there and do your thing before he goes through with the divorce. You're up. (laughs) And with one last look at Michael, Gabriel said, look, I know, of course, he's the Lord. I've never doubted him. Michael raised his eyebrows at this. "But, But I really can't, maybe it's just this. I can't wait to see how all this plays out. That's all. And with that, Gabriel left the other two angels and obediently headed for earth for Joseph's dream, and to give him news beyond his wildest dreams. God himself was coming down just as he has always planned.
Matthew 1, verses 20 and 21. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Of course he would obey, Gabriel thought, as he headed towards Joseph's dream, though he still had questions. I mean, he hoped Michael and Raphael knew him well enough to know he, he could be confused and even mystified by the Lord's plans, but he would never reject his sovereignty or his perfection and glory. I mean, of course, they knew him well enough to know that having questions doesn't mean one lacks faith. The Lord values honesty, and our questions, honestly explored, always lead to a level of trust that is even deeper still. But he had to admit to himself, this plan that God was putting into play, he did not see how this was going to work. I mean, it's not how Gabriel would have done it, which is probably a good thing, he thought to himself, because Gabriel's name was also appropriately given. The name Gabriel means might of God, and that is certainly how he understood himself. He was an angel of action, carrying out God's mighty battles with absolute victory every single time. He was ready at a moment's notice to drop down into, onto the earth to enact the Lord's justice or to rescue his people. He'd done so a number of times in the past. Like that time he rescued King Hezekiah and all Judah from the Assyrians. They were completely surrounded, overpowered, and the Assyrians were taunting them and mocking them and mocking God. Hezekiah and Isaiah humbled themselves before the Lord. And Gabriel had received the call. In one night, he destroyed the entire Assyrian army while God's people slept. They woke up to find the Assyrians had been annihilated. The Assyrian king fled. The people rejoiced in their God who saves. And as the humans say, Gabriel had barely broken a sweat. Might of God was a good name. He was proud of it. He did his best to live up to it. Which is why he had such a hard time with this plan, he realized, as he approached the house where Joseph was sleeping. He was used to God saving his people with might, with devastating plagues and dramatic demonstrations of power. He was used to seeing the Lord in inexpressible glory, sending his angels to enact his justice and his mercy. He realized what it was. He, he was used to being the arm of the Lord. He was used to the Lord sending him, Gabriel, the might of God, to accomplish the Lord's purposes with power. But this? I mean, if the Lord was planning on going down there, Gabriel expected even greater power and glory. If the Lord himself was going down there, he expected cataclysmic upheaval in the physical realm. If the Lord himself was going down there, Gabriel knew it would be beyond anything anyone could possibly comprehend. If people thought angels were terrifying, wait until the Lord himself comes down. Except, except that wasn't the plan. The Lord was not coming in glory, but almost slipping into the world unnoticed. This was the, the opposite of might. It seemed like weakness. This was the opposite of power. It seemed so vulnerable. It seemed to Gabriel that this plan was the opposite of victory. Could it ever lead to defeat? I mean, of course it wouldn't. He was the Lord. He knew what he was doing, but, but Gabriel was a warrior. The Lord's plan did not make sense to him. Gabriel walked through the dusty, deserted streets of Nazareth in the middle of the night. The moon was up, 
and there was a cool, soft light allowing navigation in the darkness. He found and entered the house, looking for the place where Joseph lay. He wandered through the front room, the workshop. He was in no hurry as he paced around the room, absent-mindedly allowing his hand to run across various projects in various stages of repair. He was surprised, in a way, to see the ramshackle nature of it all. All the pieces being fashioned were of superb quality, but the house itself evidenced a substandard level of craftsmanship. The beams were rough. The joining had been rushed. There were even areas of the workshop that looked as if they weren't even finished yet. A craftsman's own shop still under construction? Then again, he remembered, builders often spend all their energy on their work for others while their own houses languish in disrepair. You know, Gabriel spoke out loud in the darkness in conversation with himself, casually picking up a broken yoke for a pair of oxen, obviously midway through a repair, but he wasn't really seeing it. If it were up to me, he said, I would just gather the entire host of heaven and descend with power and glory to wipe evil off the face of the earth. Every person who had rejected the Lord, every person who had ever sinned, every person who thought they didn't need the Lord or didn't want the Lord or that they should be their own God, every person wreaking havoc on their own lives and the lives of those around them, gone. He mentioned this idea often to the other angels. He, He considered it a rather straightforward and efficient solution to the problem. End sin and suffering for all humanity in one great battle. But it was Raphael who would always remind him, if you wipe out everyone who has sinned, Gabriel, you'll be wiping out everyone. (laughs) The Lord created these people for a relationship with himself. He wants to pour out his love on them. He wants wants them to bring him glory by embracing his love and living with him and for him. And that's just not going to work if you have literally killed them all, Gabriel. (laughs) Raphael was right, of course. He hated when Raphael was right. They had all sinned. Every human being was under the judgment of God's perfect justice, which is why they needed saving. But this saving was shaping up to be insane. In the past, God saved his people from other people. He saved them from the Egyptians. He saved them from the Assyrians. He saved them from all kinds of other people as human history unfolded. Okay, so he let Babylon come through. But his people had rejected him on that one. It's hard to save your people when they reject your salvation and want nothing to do with you. But even then, he rescued them and sent them home as Persia took hold. And now Rome has all the power. And Gabriel had been really hoping that the saving he was supposed to announce was going to have to do with Rome. Now there was a battle worth getting out of bed for. The cosmic forces of good and evil clashing across an entire empire. Empire. Gabriel, the might of God, would, would pull the victory of God and put it all on display. He came around the corner into the sleeping room where Joseph lay. He looked down on Joseph, contemplating the fragility of humanity, mere flesh and blood. They were so, what was the word he was looking for? They were so mortal at least for now, for he could also see the soul of the man, almost hidden, but stretching out through time, crying out to be released for all eternity. And as much as he was itching for a glorious battle to bring an end to the reign of sin in the world, somewhere deep down he sensed something stirring within himself that was disquieting. He thought it might be compassion. Yep, that was it. Looking at Joseph, lying helpless, about to have a dramatically disturbing dream, Gabriel admitted that God might be on to something. God wasn't saving his people from a worldly power. He was saving them from the power of sin. 
the power that breaks everything. It breaks humanity's relationship with God. It breaks the relationships with one another. And in a very real way, it even breaks the relationships with themselves. Every person down here, he thought, has been corrupted by it. But were they all beyond redemption? Instead of destroying everything tainted by sin and evil, maybe God was onto something if he thought these humans could be saved, could be redeemed. But for the Lord to go down there himself? I mean, what was the Lord going to do that he couldn't send Gabriel and the angelic host to do in his stead? Gabriel prepared to slide into Joseph's dream. And this had been God's plan from the beginning? He didn't understand it. As he shifted, he chose obedience to the Lord, even when he didn't fully understand. Gabriel wanted a war, but what he was getting felt like a whimper. He wanted a fight, but instead he anticipated forgiveness. He wanted a battle, but what he was getting was a baby in a manger born to peasants in Bethlehem. And with that, he slid into Joseph's dream. Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now the three archangels were together again. Michael, who is like our God, Gabriel, the might of God, and Raphael, whose name means, it is the Lord who heals. Raphael addressed Gabriel as the group came back together in the heavenly. So, how'd it go? Any unforeseen problems? Anyone see you before you slipped into Joseph's dream? Gabriel answered truthfully, no, no problems. Routine dream invasion. We'll see how it goes. I mean, I was tempted to put the fear of God into him, but instead the Lord wanted me to calm his fears, to give him confidence that the Lord has entrusted to him a great calling. So I stuck to the script, right down to the and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Hey, Raphael, Gabriel continued, what, what was your assignment in all this? Raphael answered with neither pride nor complaint. I have to shine in the night sky so that a group of magi from the east can find the child. It's going to take a while for them to get there. It's kind of a long trip for them. So I'm not going to be there right on the ground as it happens, but I'll, I'll be up there shining brightly for all the world to see that Jesus, the Lord himself, has come into the world. Right on, said Gabriel. That's huge, man. A beacon for the whole world? Hold your head high, my friend. You have an important role in all this. <laughs> and, and what was your job again, Michael? Gabriel continued, inquiring of his commander. I, I never heard what your job was. Or is it true in heaven as it is on earth that supervisors never actually do any of the work? Did the Lord issue you a white hard hat? Michael hesitated, which was fascinating to Gabriel. And it even picked Raphael's curiosity. What, 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 what does the Lord ask you to do in all this? Well, Michael began, in about nine months, I get to take an entire company of the most elite from among God's angelic host and descend to earth. Gabriel cut him off. Are you kidding me? You get to bring the army? I knew it. There's going to be a battle, just the most elite forces. Why didn't the Lord include me in the invasion? Who are you going to go down and wage war against? And Michael was at a loss for words to answer him. Perhaps for the first time in his angelic life, and Gabriel loved it. 
Even Raphael was shocked. Um, Michael began, we're, we're, uh, so we're not, we're not going down to fight. What do you mean? Gabriel was starting to sense that this was going to be amazing. What do you mean you're not taking them down to fight? Michael sort of regained his composure, conjuring up some semblance of dignity. We're going down to announce the birth of the Lord when it is time. We've got about nine months to train and to prepare for our role in the Lord's great plan. It, well, who are you announcing it to? Gabriel kept pushing. He had a suspicion there was more to this assignment that Michael was letting on, and he wasn't going to let it go. These, these elite special forces of the Lord descending to earth to announce his birth. Who's all this for? Is it for the high priest and the, the leaders at the temple? Is it for Herod? And his, is it for Caesar himself? Michael mumbled under his breath. <laughs> what was that? Both other angels asked in unison. Didn't quite catch that. Gabriel insisted, to whom are you announcing this? Michael straightened and said in a clear voice, the Lord has commanded us to announce the birth of this child to a select group of shepherds who will be watching their flocks by night outside Bethlehem. Gabriel roared with laughter. Oh, I can't wait to see this. Michael, the archangel, the commander of the angelic host of heaven, descending to earth to announce the birth to some hick shepherds outside of backwater town. <laughs> shepherds, he roared again with laughter. I can't wait to see that. What do you think of God's plans now, Michael? Michael responded with a little heat. I maintain that there is no one like our God, and I do so with even more conviction than before. How can you possibly say that, Gabriel demanded, and he was only half joking. Isn't it obvious Raphael finally spoke? The smallest of the three archangels, Raphael, was usually content to let the others go on with their banter and petty verbal back and forth, remaining, as it were, on the sidelines. But now he spoke up, and with an unexpected passion. Sobered, the other two looked at Raphael, and Gabriel asked for more. Why, why do you say that? See, Raphael was always the one who could see the big picture. Michael had faith, even in the face of uncertainty, trusting that there is no one like the Lord. And Gabriel, yep, he was the angel of action, the might of God, ready to carry out the Lord's assignments at a moment's notice. But Raphael was also true to his name. It is the Lord who heals. Raphael was quieter, but more thoughtful. And he'd begun to put all the pieces together, that the Lord was about to heal his people, and that this had been his plan all along. I myself will tend my sheep, he quoted quietly. Wait, what was that? Gabriel and Michael answered. It, it's something the Lord said once. Don't you remember? It was to his prophet, Ezekiel. The Lord was angered by the injustice, even among his own people, and the greed and the negligence of Israel's leaders. He, he, he called them shepherds, and he said he was angry that they did not care for his flock. He went so far as to say, and I quote, I am against the shepherds and will hold them accountable for my flock. Okay, Gabriel began. I, I kind of remember that. I do like it when the Lord gets fired up. It increases the likelihood that I might get sent down there to Raphael cut him off. I wasn't finished. He had more to say on that occasion, as I remember. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I myself will tend my sheep, 
and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. I will search for the lost and bring back the strays. I will bind up the injured and strengthen the weak. The other two archangels were silent, remembering those words. And slowly they too started to put the pieces together. I always thought that was a metaphor Gabriel offered. You know how he gets when he speaks to those prophets. But Michael was suddenly dead serious. It's not a metaphor. I mean, it seems pretty clear now that it's never been a metaphor. This whole time, this has been his plan. He's going down there to rescue them himself. He's stepping down into the darkness to search for the lost, to bring back the strays. This has been his plan from the beginning. Raphael was nodding. This is what God coming down really means. The world down there is broken. Sin has ruined everything. That's, and that's no metaphor either. And it takes more than a metaphor to redeem what has been broken. It's always been his plan to go down himself to be the good shepherd. He's not going down to condemn the guilty, but to rescue them. He's not going down to judge the broken, but to heal them. Don't you see what this means? It means he hasn't given up on them, no matter how broken or rebellious they are. It means he wants them to know him, so he's going down there in person. It means he's about to reveal his kingdom, allowing some of his glory to shine in the darkness. And above all, his plan all along is that he would be going down there to seek and save that which is lost. He is the Lord, and he's going down there to heal his people, said the angel whose name means it is the Lord who heals. The three angels were silent for a moment, filled with wonder and awe. Gabriel said, now that's what true might looks like. Michael whispered, there is truly. There is no one like our God. Raphael turned his face towards the earth. And he looked down to see that Joseph was stirring. Hey, he's waking up. Let's go down again. Let's see what he does. I got to see this. Michael agreed. I'm with you. This I have to see. Let's see if you did your job, Gabriel. Man, this is the beginning of something incredible, the beginning of something unprecedented. This is the beginning of something the likes of which has never been seen before in all eternity. God, come down. No, Raphael disagreed. This isn't the beginning at all. Isn't that what we just said? This has been the Lord's plan all along. This is the reason for good tidings and great joy for the whole world because it has always been his plan to go down and rescue them himself. Matthew 1, 24 through 25. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. And in John chapter 10, verse 11, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. 